0: This week on the Iowa Watch Connection.
1: Something had to happen when you were watching her. Because she's got two broken legs.
0: Its supporters say it gets the toughest criminals to confess. Tell me what happened. If you tell the truth, that's good for the
2: soul. And it also allows me to help you.
0: But does one particular interrogation technique also convince innocent people to confess to something they didn't do?
3: We didn't know that we could just stay silent and say nothing and get a lawyer or, you know, whatever.
0: The Propriety of Certain Investigative Techniques, our topic this week.
4: The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein.
0: Investigating crimes is not an easy task. Those with the most to lose often are the only witnesses, and for law enforcement to get at the truth of what happened in a given situation, it often means using a variety of methods of questioning and interrogation. But some have raised concern over a particular method of interrogation, one that leads to a high rate of success eliciting confessions, but the confessions themselves may not be genuine. Iowa Watch reporter Krista Johnson has our story.
5: The story begins in a Moline, Illinois police department interrogation room. It's July 24th, 2013. Dorothy Veralo Spakin, then a 22-year-old babysitter with no criminal record, has gone to the police station voluntarily, thinking she is going to help solve a child abuse case.
1: Something had to happen when you were watching her cuz she's got two broken legs, right?
3: Well, I don't know of anything that I did.
5: It soon becomes evident to Veralo Spakin the detective thinks for Alice an Iowa City high school graduate who later moved to Moline with her mother, had broken both of a 15-month-old toddler's legs two days earlier at the home of the child's mother.
3: I don't remember specific activity that would have caused.
1: Okay, well, I think you do. I think you're not telling me because you're afraid of the consequences.
3: I would know the consequences. I've been through a similar situation. Maybe that's why you're not telling me. Well, I mean, fine, I guess I can take the rap for no, it. No, I don't want you taking the rap. I want you
1: to tell me what happened. I don't want you taking the rap for something you didn't do.
5: But Veralo Spaquin feels she did take the rap, as she eventually made a confession that she now says was coerced.
3: I didn't know what else to tell her because I told her anything else that could have happened. And she told me, no, it's wrong. So I was like, sure.
5: That's Veralo Spaquin, in an interview I watched did about her case while also studying a controversial technique that her interrogation mirrors, the Reed Technique of Interviewing. A majority of law enforcement officials are trained to use the Reed Technique or another method based on it. Researchers call the technique the gold standard for interrogating suspects. The technique takes interrogators and suspects through a series of steps, including a direct positive accusation, development of a common theme for the crime and how it happened, talking over suspects who try to deny committing the crime, presenting two choices for the suspect's alleged involvement in a crime. Other approaches exist, too, all leading to obtaining a verbal confession and then a written confession. But the technique has critics. These detractors point to Innocence Project reports that more than one-fourth of wrongfully convicted suspects exonerated with DNA evidence had given a false confession or incriminating statement. The Innocence Project is a nonprofit that works to exonerate the wrongfully convicted. Stephanie Madden, an Iowa State University psychology professor who researches why individuals confess to crimes they didn't commit, says you simply cannot tell if a person is lying or telling the truth based on cues generated in the interview. One of the people we interviewed for this story was Dean Strang of Madison, Wisconsin. Strang has become known as one of the defense attorneys for Stephen Avery a man whose conviction of a sexual assault he didn't commit was the subject of a 10-part Netflix program making a murderer. Avery has since been convicted of a murder.
2: The Reed technique, um, which is the most well-known, most well-established, confrontational form of interview strategy, um, teaches the police, a number of psychological ploys um, that they may use and that the Reed technique, te- technique teaches are permissible. With the Reed technique, common stratagems or ploys would be setting up a false friend scenario. Um That can be done with one questioner or more than one questioner. If it's done with one questioner, it would be something like, Look, Krista, I like you. You're obviously a good person. You're a nice person. But we all make mistakes. Heck, I've made mistakes in my life. You know, probably worse than the mistakes you made here. And I want to help you through this. You know, I think that if you tell me what happened, if you tell the truth that's good for the soul... And it also allows me to help you. To you know, I'd like to go to the DA and the judge for you and say, Krista's really a good person. She made a mistake, but she admitted it truthfully. She owned up to it. And then I can, really, I can go to bat for you if you do that. I can help you with the DA and the judge if you just do that. Plus, you'll feel much better. Because again, telling the truth is always good. It's hard to carry secrets. Krista eats you up inside carrying a secret. You know, and I know you're a good person, you're not a bad person, so carrying around a guilty secret is going to be very, very bad for you in the long run. Much worse than just admitting the truth. That's a false friend kind of ploy.
5: I will watch obtain the video-recorded police interview of Veralo Spokane from her mother, Sharon Veralo. In the video, Moline Detective Marcelo O'Brien talks over Veralo Spokane. She interrupts and rejects or cuts off Veralo Spokane's repeated denials of O'Brien's theory. That Varalo Spokane broke the toddler's legs.
3: What I'm saying is, like, if something happened, I don't remember it happening, but I will take the consequences if it was me. Like, I'm not going to okay. say.
1: Okay. Well, I'm not. you know what? And the, I appreciate that, but I can't give you consequences for something you don't tell me what happened. But I need to have details. What
5: Detective O'Brien, the Moline police what chief, and the state's attorney's office for this case declined Iowa Watch's multiple requests for interviews. The injured baby's mother did not respond to Iowa Watch's request for interviews. Veralo Spakin and her girlfriend, Jennifer Schaefer, were not the only people with the toddler of the day medical authorities discovered the child's broken legs. Charges were not filed against any others. Schaefer, speaking at the Moline home she and Veralo Spakin share, said she was interrogated roughly too. She told police she didn't harm the child and that she was with Veralo Spakin all the time that Veralo Spakin watched the child the day in question, except for 30 minutes when Schaefer was outside.
3: And I told her, I'm like, oh when I went outside, Briley was laying on Dorothy, laying on the couch. They were both asleep. When we came back inside, the only one awake was Dorothy. If Dorothy were to do something in that time frame to hurt her like that, that kid would not have been asleep still.
5: The questioning continued.
3: She was really good about not letting us finish what we were trying to say before she would cut us off with, well, we know you did this or that it was you guys that, you know, and how do you think Jamie's going to feel about all this? And, you know, if if you're just covering up for Dorothy and afraid that Jamie's going to be mad at you or something, we can help you work it out with Jamie and blah, 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 blah.
5: Andy Griffiths, a retired United Kingdom detective superintendent with a doctorate in major crime interviewing, says his country no longer sees cases going to the UK's appeals court because of false confessions. Shane Sturman, the chief executive officer of an Illinois law enforcement consulting firm, Wicklander Zulowski, has another take. He says the problem is not the method, but that it gets used improperly. The method's confrontational nature could explain missteps that happen, he says. Joseph Buckley, president of John E. Reed & Associates, stands by the technique. He says it is an ethical and efficient way to obtain justice. He says false confessions and the read technique are not related. 84 minutes into her interrogation, back in 2013, Varela Spikine finally confesses. Even then, however, the confession seems to be shaky.
1: So now if I would give you a polygraph and ask you about the same question, did you cause the injury to Briley? What would your answer be? I Sure,
3: yeah. I don't think I did, but...
1: Well, I, I don't think I did is not really helpful. I mean, it's either yes I did or no I didn't. I think you
5: know.
3: Right. Did yeah. you cause the injury? I assume so, since I seem to be the only one to be around her when it happened.
5: Now, Rallo Specking says she has regrets.
3: Yes. Um. Agreeing to babysit. Agreeing to pretend that everybody's a good guy and it's all going to work out.
5: She and Schaefer expressed one other regret, too.
3: I regret talking at all. No. Neither I, one of us knew that we didn't have to say anything. We thought we were both under the impression that we had to talk to them. We didn't know that we could just stay silent and say nothing and get a lawyer or, you know, whatever. We Neither one of us knew that. We were both under the impression that we had to talk to them. So, having nothing to hide, you know. Well, that and we thought we were only helping. Right. It. That's all we were trying to do, you know. We were just trying to help them out. But we didn't know that we didn't have to do that. We didn't know we didn't have to talk to them.
5: Other details in this case exist. To learn about them and more about the discussion about the Reed technique, go to our story at iowawatch.org. I'm Krista Johnson for the Iowa Watch Connection.
0: And Krista Johnson joins me now. Krista, how did you get interested in this topic for a story, and how did you first learn of the read technique?
5: This story came across Iowa Watch's desk shortly after I started working with them, and we kind of put it on the back burner for a little while because I wasn't quite ready to take on a story of this size, but essentially we were told about a case of a woman who lived in Moline, Illinois, and she would confessed to breaking the legs of a 15-month-old child, and then later on denied doing so. So to start with, Lyle and I went over to Moline and met with Dorothy's parents. And after talking with them, we decided we were going to take on the story. So I started looking through the interrogation transcripts and watching the interrogation video and started to really dig into these interrogation tactics, and that's when I learned about the read technique and the different... um, there were things critics were saying about specific parts of that technique.
0: What surprised you the most when you heard about the story and the technique before you even did the reporting?
5: I guess what surprised me is to see how how normal it seemed. You know, when you watch Law & Order, you see these, this bad, good cop, bad cop role, and it's something we see every day, but you don't really think about how that would feel being the person in the interrogation room, especially if you're an innocent person in an interrogation room. So I was really fascinated by how normal it seemed, but how surreal it would really be and how intense that, would, that whole process is.
0: What are you hoping happens after this as a result of informing the public about this sort of thing? What do you hope happens?
5: Um, I suppose I hope that police departments start taking a better look at what interrogation tactics are teaching officers and officers become more aware of what they're doing in the interrogation room it's not to say the officers are bad people or that they're, they intend to elicit a false confession it's just these certain tactics that we we've come to expect to be the norm and it's it's dangerous when we think about one and four wrongly convicted people having given a incriminating statement or a false confession
0: what did this experience teach you or help you understand that will make you a better reporter in the future
5: with this story there were there were a lot of ups and downs Um, from the get-go I was extremely interested but we had a big roadblock when it came to interviewing the detective and I I found myself really down with the story and kind of wanting to abandon it and Lyle kept pushing me and making me stick with it. And I think that was a really important lesson because stories don't always go as smoothly as you anticipate them. Um, and so when the end product and actually seeing the story published and getting it out there, it was a really gratifying experience. And knowing that I stuck through it and continued to push and work on it was great. Um, the other part of it was because this is such a complicated story I found I I was very conscious about not not being biased and making sure I was giving each side a very fair analysis and so I think that that helped me a lot in terms of becoming a better reporter.
0: Iowa Watch reporter Krista Johnson who with mentoring from Iowa Watch executive director and editor Lyle Muller produced a series of reports on the Reed technique. Coming up, we'll hear from a noted defense attorney who has succeeded in getting individuals released after wrongful convictions. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from AARP Iowa a proud sponsor of the 2017 Iowa State Fair Veterans Day on Monday, August 14th. For all the ways AARP is working to inform, advocate, and engage Iowans in activities and issues of importance to those 50-plus, visit aarp.org IA. That's aarp.org IA. Support also comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams
4: The center is found online at iowawatch.org.
0: Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. Dean Strang of Madison, Wisconsin has become known nationally for his work as a defense attorney who has expertise dealing with coerced confessions. You might know him from the Netflix documentary series Making a Murderer. The series, mentioned in Krista Johnson's report at the beginning of this program, followed a case of a man Strang defended and who served 18 years in prison for a sex assault that DNA evidence later showed he didn't commit. In an interview, Krista Johnson asked Strang how he determines if a client's confession was obtained constitutionally.
2: Practically speaking, that has gotten easier in recent years, in this sense, I mean, just evaluating whether the confession is voluntary. Um, that in the last several years, at long last, you know, police departments are rapidly migrating toward um, recording um, custodial interviews and in some places that's because state law now requires it in some places it's because um, they've just decided that as a matter of credibility they need to do that but really until recent years for most of the time I've been practicing law the norm was that custodial interviews were not videotaped or audio taped so you were left to the police officer's written report of what the defendant said and then the defendant's explanation of what happened. That made it hard to assess whether there really was a reason for doubting the voluntariness of the statement because, of the, of course, the police reports airbrush out anything that would suggest involuntariness or coercion or improper tactics by the police. That's omitted from a police report, other than, you know, um, the rarest instance of, you know, police not even recognizing that they were doing something improper, or one officer writing a report that happened to in- include something just as a matter of conscience. And so you didn't, you you know, you didn't have much in looking at the police version of events to tell whether the statement was voluntary or not. And on the defendant's side, on, the, on your client's side, you know, they, um, our, our clients vary in their ability to relate accurately and articulately to you what happened, um, they may have weak language skills, or they may have strong language skills. They may have been under the influence of something. They may have been sober. They may have been um, so scared that they later remember very little. Um, they just, you know, have a jumble of impressions and, and, and emotions um, conjured up by the whole experience. Or they may be someone who's detached enough to have, you know. Uh, retained the ability to give a very objective recounting of what happened.
0: Joseph Buckley, president of John E. Reed and Associates, spoke with Iowa Watch for our story. He said he stands by the Reed technique as an ethical and efficient way to obtain justice. He denied that false confessions and the Reed technique are related. After our original story was published, he sent a lengthy comment in response, It was a commentary he wrote for the July 2017 newsletter for the International Association of Directors of Law Enforcement Standards and Training. It stated, in part, that law enforcement officers should conduct non-accusatory, fact-seeking interviews with suspects. It outlines elements of a good interrogation, such as treating the suspect with decency and respect, following court-established guidelines, honoring the suspect's rights, refraining from threatening the suspect or promising leniency and allowing suspects to satisfy their physical needs. Buckley also wrote the following, quoting now, Unfortunately, contrary to the best practices that we described previously, some investigators disclose details about the crime to the suspect so that when the suspect repeats those details in their confession there is no way to demonstrate that the suspect had independent knowledge of those facts as opposed to simply repeating what he was told. The courts consistently uphold confessions that were the result of proper interrogation procedures and reject those confessions that were obtained improperly, that were the result of coercive investigator behavior. Fortunately, these are far and few between. Interrogation is a critical part of the search for truth, but it must be conducted properly. It must be a good interrogation. End quote. You can read Buckley's full statement plus some comments in response to it at the end of the story Iowa Watch published on this topic. It's at iowawatch.org. The story's title is Controversial Criminal Interrogation Technique Suspected of Producing False Confessions Under Fire. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at the same time. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch connection again next week.